Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, our first uh, full official episode post-National Bank Open. Uh, feels like just yesterday we were working long, long days there. But uh, as we know, the tennis calendar season continues as we had the Western and Southern Open. And gosh, suddenly U.S. Open is right around the corner. The hardcourt swing is coming to its conclusion, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, we're back to our weekly pods, uh, normally dropping on Mondays, Monday mornings, and a little different to be separated from you again as we're back on Zoom I know. by distance here. It was kind of nice for that week to be uh, reunited and, and reconnected in the studio on site um, here in Toronto, but um, you know, it's it's nice to get back into our groove again as well, and kind of look a little bit bigger picture than just day to day, and and go back to week to week. And so much coming up with uh, you know Cincinnati, which we'll talk about today, obviously, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Open fast approaching, the final Grand Slam of the year. So it's an exciting time for tennis fans as the summer winds down here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you had a chance to speak with uh, Canadian tennis player Kayla Cross um, just this past week. And uh, we know the 17-year-old Canadian has been making uh, terrific inroads just in, in this season. I, I had a chance to chat with her and Victoria Maboko earlier this season uh, when they had their run at Roland Garros. And, and we've seen the success, I think, really continue for the both of them. It's funny for for Canadian tennis players that we follow, uh, that moment where you can tell they're realizing that they've got the opportunity and the talent to uh, to, to make a run at it, to make a go of it as you know a professional tennis player. Uh, we talked to Leilani Fernandez, Bianca Andrescu before they made it big when they were playing ITFs and even still juniors. And now here we are with the next wave, like you mentioned, Victoria Maboko, who's had such a successful summer at only the age of 15. Kayla Cross at 17 years old, who's also having... Um, some great moments in her development as a tennis player and the excitement was palpable when I talked to her Um, you know for lack of a better phrase I want to say it's kind of cute to hear that uh, that youthful exuberance and excitement of of playing your first big home tournament and I think moments like that for Kayla for Victoria and for other young Canadian players um, is so crucial to have that support to know that they're supported not just by their family and friends but by Canadian tennis fans and by Tennis Canada as well, giving them opportunities like wild cards into whether it's main draws or qualifying draws. That all goes a long way, I think, in terms of making them feel like, um, you know, they belong here. Yeah, yeah, really just setting them up for that path for uh, future professional success. And you did a great job with the interview. So without further ado, uh, let's hear Mike's interview with Kayla Cross uh, from the National Bank Open in Toronto. Happy to be joined right now by emerging Canadian talent, Kayla Cross, um, who has been on the podcast before on Matchpoint Canada, I should say. Uh, so welcome back and uh, good to see you. Thank you. If, nice it's, if I'm not mistaken, you spoke with Ben, I think, the last time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is our first official interview. So I feel like I'm evening the score with my partner. Um, so you came right out of uh, your qualifying match yesterday as we're speaking on Sunday of the National Bank Open qualifying weekend. Uh, didn't work out the way you would have wanted, but a very competitive first set against an yes. experienced opponent. Um, walk us through the match and, and just what the experience has been like for you. Yeah, it's, um, it was amazing just walking on court, them announcing my name. Everyone started to cheer. <laughs> I got a lot of loud cheers, so that was fun. Um, a lot of my friends came out to watch and family and 
present and past coaches, so I felt very supported out there. Um, for sure, the first couple games were a little rocky, very nervous. Um, first time playing on touch, like a big stadium like that with the crowd behind me, because I've played on big stadiums before, but not with a crowd like that behind me. Um, and then, I mean, I found my groove um, for sure. The crowd helps a lot, having them behind me and cheering for me. Um, and yeah, first set was very competitive, losing in a tight tiebreak, serving for the set. Um, second set, not so tight, but I mean, still some good points. Um, just think that she kind of stepped up her game and I was giving some loose points away, but I think overall it was a really great experience and I'm very thankful for being able to play here. It's great that you feel that energy and you kind of like thrive on it mm -hmm. because I would imagine for some players it might be nerve wracking mm -hmm. just having more yeah. people in the crowd compared to a mm -hmm. typical junior level match that you might play. How difficult was it getting to sleep the night before at home? Did it take you some time? Like, were you thinking about things a lot? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was very nerve wracking just finding out that I got the wild card. I was so happy, but it's also like, okay, now I got to perform. I got to get ready. It's a big stage. And then when they announced that I was playing on grandstand, I was like, that's a big court. There's going to be a lot of people. And when I post about it on Instagram, like a lot of people were commenting like, oh, I'm going to come watch. And I was like, it's a lot of people coming to watch already. <laughs> and but I mean, I really like it, um, you know, being able to inspire even the future generations to come. So, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, those messages of support, I'm assuming, continued after the match and, and you know, just so sort of pump your tires up and make you feel a little bit better mm -hmm. about the result, too. Yeah, for sure. I got a lot. Um, even after the match, I was signing autographs and taking pictures. Obviously, I was disappointed after the match, but just having people come up to me and stuff was really nice. And getting all the messages from not only my family and friends and coaches, but also just supporters that came out to watch was uh, really nice. Were you surprised that you got the wild card right into the main qualifying draw? Like, did you have any sort of preconceived expectations or hopes of what might come your way? Um, yeah, I mean, until maybe three, four days, I think, before the event, um, I was planning on playing the pre-qualifying. So that's what I was getting ready for. Um, so when I got the call that I was getting the wild card, I got very excited. Um, of course, it helps not having to play like three matches to just get into the qualifying. Because um, I know Marina had to do that. She did really well. She won her first round, so that's great for her. But I know probably today it didn't help that she had already played so many matches. So it was nice to go in fresh. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, of course I was hoping for the wild card, but there's a lot of good Canadians that I could have gotten it. So I'm very gr grateful to have it. What, what does that say to you that Tennis Canada would award you that wild card? What kind of confidence or what message did you receive from, from being put in that position by them? Yeah, I mean, for them to give it to me and, and Vicky, it's uh, really special, you know, to know they have our backs, to know that they believe in us to give us the opportunity because, of course, if they didn't think that we had a chance of winning these matches um, or that it would be a good experience, they wouldn't have given us the wild card. So knowing that they have that kind of belief um, in us as an organization is very good. And for, like, the whole federation, there's a lot of people. It's not just one person deciding. There's a lot of people that would have faith in us, so uh, it feels really good. You've had a pretty awesome summer so far, at least from an outsider's perspective, making uh, the finals of Wimbledon uh, in doubles in the junior event, and then also winning in doubles in, in Saskatoon in a, in a professional level ITF mm, yes. event. Maybe just talk about those two moments and, and what the experiences were like, and, and how that helps you moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've had, those two tournaments were amazing. Um, of course, Wimbledon, we would have liked to got the win. We had match point, but just 
every learning experience is uh, something else to add to, you know, my resume and just kind of building off of that and getting more confident. Um, I mean, doubles also help singles. Just, you know, you're out there, you're competing. It's the same thing. It's nerves, everything. So getting, like, that experience, whether I'm going in singles or doubles, it's always the nerves. It's always getting to learn and getting a little bit better at it and dealing with it and playing on big stages. I think um, the 25K was really special because it was my first pro title and it was at it was in Canada, so that was also um, really special. And um, Marina and I haven't played, I think maybe we played once when we were really little, but um, since we hadn't played in a long time, so it was good to get the win with her. And I mean, with Vicky at Wimbledon, we've been playing for a year and a half, I think, together. So it's, um, it's been good. We get along so well. We get along on and off the court. Um, and I think our chemistry plays a big part in how well we do. Vicky, of course, won the singles title in Saskatoon, and we're looking forward to talking to her about that mm -hmm. as well. You guys, unfortunately, for those who aren't aware who are listening, you two had to face each other yeah. early in that singles draw. Mm -hmm. How awkward is it, or what's the vibe like when you know you're all of a sudden having to face one of your, your good buddies who you, who you play doubles with on, on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, it happens. It hasn't happened in a while, but it does happen, of course, so we were both ready for it. Um, we got along so well off the court. What happens on the court stays on the court. It's kind of where we leave it at. Uh, we go and play a match. It's like any other match. Like I played Caden's first round. We were chill after we went back to our Airbnb um, and we had dinner together. There's no hard feelings. It's a tennis match and there's going to be plenty more in the future. I'm sure that I play Vicky in. Um, so, I mean, what happens on the court kind of stays there and that's it. We're friends off the court no matter what happens on the court. It's a great attitude and uh, I would imagine maybe part of that attitude comes from perhaps your coach who we saw downstairs before coming up to the suite here, Rob Steckley, uh, who is just one of those uh, tennis characters I would describe him as uh, a, big, a big kid himself yes. really <laughs> in many ways. He's not the typical coach. Uh, how does his approach to the game uh, and what he's done with you really help you uh, with what you're doing out there? Yeah, I mean I have a big coaching staff but he's definitely part of it. Um, he just brings a very good energy to the table. Um, we always have fun on court no matter what. If I'm losing a match, he tries to crack a joke sometimes, or he tries to kind of get me back in a good mood, and same with practice. He just brings kind of like a good vibe to no matter what the situation is. If I'm having a hard practice, even if I'm running side to side for an hour, it's somehow he makes it fun, and he does a lot off the court as well, which helps. Like it's not, He's not just a tennis coach. Like He'll go out with us off court. He talks to us about other things other than just tennis because, of course, if you're only focused on tennis, it's hard. There's other things that happen in life. There's uh, way more to life than just tennis. So I think he understands that well, and we all appreciate that a lot. It's, it's really nice to hear that because I feel like a lot of people your age are so focused on one thing just you know the results and winning and progressing as tennis players and yeah I definitely would say Rob from what I know of him he's been on the podcast many times too definitely has a, a bigger view of things and that's uh, I think so positive to pass on to uh, the next crew of emerging tennis talents like you guys um, how long have you been working with with Rob I feel like it's been ages he's been around for a while with you guys and how is he fitting in with you said sort of the the coaching structure that you have who else is in there and and mm -hmm. what role are people playing for you right now yeah, I mean, Rob's been um, a part of kind of, he was coaching my brother uh, a couple years ago for a while, so I think maybe last, I'd say, year and a half, he started working with me more, um, but before, he was still working randomly with me, but more uh, with my brother as he was older and stuff, um, but yeah, I have a big group because, of course, I'm part of Tennis Canada, so, you know, Sylvain's the one who overlooks our program, 
and sometimes he gets on court with us, so that's nice. And then um, there's Natalie Toziat, who's uh, with me 20, 25 weeks a year, so that's nice. Um, then we have Virginie, who's our fitness coach, and there's a couple other, Simon LaRose, um, and then Elena Bovina is with us right now. So we kind of have some coaches coming in and out, and then when I do come home, uh, sometimes Rob travels with us. He's starting to more now, but in the past when I do come home, I work with uh, Rob and Simon Bartram. It's a great crew of people you mm -hmm. have there, and you must have confidence knowing what they've done for other players who've then moved on out of yeah. you know, successful professional careers. Who are some players that you look up to, whether they're Canadians or, or others on the WTA right now, that um, either when you were younger or even right now that you kind of would like to follow in their footsteps? Um, for sure. I mean, now she's retired, but uh, Ash Barty was definitely one I looked up to. She played a lot of sports growing up, um, not only tennis, and I think that's kind of... What I did, I played soccer growing up competitively for a while, so, um, and she had a very, like, not unique, like, she had a very unique tennis game. She didn't just hit flat through, like, through the court all the time. She used her slice. She, higher balls came to the net, um, so hopefully that's kind of where I want to take my game, um, and same with Bianca. It's like that Bianca Andreescu uh, also kind of has that similar game style. She mixes it up and stuff like that, um, but I mean, honestly, all the players for own little reasons. Um, I look up to all of them and try to take what I can from each and every one of them. Um, there's not just one player that's like, oh, I want to be exactly like them. I also want to be my own person. So just trying to take little things from every player and getting to talk to some of the pros is really nice. And uh, Bianca and Layla have been very open and talking to us. And so it's been great. That's great to hear. And, and obviously being here this week for the National Bank Open, as even though you're not moving into the main draw, just being around it, getting to see it all and, and mm -hmm. you know, hit on the practice courts. As you mentioned, you're going out for a hit after we talk and you're not yes. even sure who you're hitting with yet. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's Serena Williams. Never know, <laughs> we right? never know. Yeah. Uh, what's the rest of your schedule going to be like this summer beyond this week? Are you playing uh, ITFs? Are you junior stuff? What's what's next? Um, yeah, so I'm going to head to Vancouver after this and then Granby and then back to the junior circuit for Rapontney J1 and then um, U.S. Open Juniors. And after that, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'll get my schedule soon. See what comes next. Yeah. Okay. Well, Kayla Cross, thank you so much for taking the time. All the best moving forward. I feel like we're going to have you back on Matchpoint Canada many times over the next few years. Thank you. And there you have it. That's Mike's conversation with Canadian Kayla Cross, who um, you know how meaningful those experiences are, I, I think, for a young person getting on that massive stage, having fans supporting you. And I was sort of thinking, just listening to it um, for her, probably for Vicky and a few other of these juniors, like this is one of the biggest weeks uh, of their young lives, really. Yeah, and they've got so much to, to balance heading into these matches. They're feeling that pressure of being awarded these wild cards when they know, you know, it's very competitive amongst the Canadian players in that under 20 kind of range. There's so many of them that um, are untapped talents, so many of them that are working hard week in and week out to have these opportunities. And in particular in Toronto, it was Victoria and Kayla who were awarded the wild cards directly into qualifying, didn't have to go through pre-qualifying uh, like some other players. And I really sensed from Kayla that she was very appreciative of that opportunity, that it didn't uh, go by unnoticed what it meant. And uh, to me, one of the interesting things that she kind of talked at length about was just managing the nerves and, and how those nerves uh, affect you. You're excited to have the opportunity. You're looking forward to that opportunity. And, and how are you going to react in that moment when you step out on, as she mentioned, like the grandstand court here in Toronto, and suddenly it's packed with people that are cheering for you.
Yeah, and of course you're going to have those pre-match jitters. I, I think that's completely normal. And uh, sometimes uh, stepping into that environment, it, it's almost like you need that one or two kind of early points to to get you going. You hit that like clean forehand winner or whatever it might be, and, and suddenly you really loosen up and relax. And now the crowd and that presence, everybody supporting you is a huge lift for you, which I imagine that did sort of happen for her and in and, and that qualifying experience. Um as she said, I believe she was serving for that first set. So she was very, very close. The level is close. And, um, you know, she's she gained uh, more experience as well just this past week in Vancouver, uh, playing along a veteran in uh, in Jeannie Bouchard, too. Yeah. And, and just one more comment there on sort of the nerves that tennis players have. And right. I think at any level, you can feel that, like whether you're a professional or a junior who's trying to make that crossover or even players like you and me, not that we're on the same level, you're, mm -hmm. you're up a few rungs, but when you go out for a big match, I mean, I'm assuming you feel differently. Even when I play rec tennis, like if I'm just on the nearby public court with a buddy, I don't feel any nerves. If yeah. I'm suddenly at my tennis club playing, you know, doubles with some of the members there, whatever, that's like a step up. Or if you're in a tournament, you know, a, a rec tournament or a competitive mm -hmm. tournament, like the ones you play, you you feel the difference there. So I can only imagine for these players like Kayla Cross, my goodness, of course, you're going to feel different stepping up for the National Bank Open qualifying versus just a junior match. Yeah, it's it's almost hard hard to explain uh, what happens uh, to you mentally, physically when you do step in the competitive environment. If it is a, a tournament, even you know the level that I play, which is by no means professional, but uh, I do play some tournaments, and uh, <laughs> things are running through your head. You're trying to loosen up and relax, and think like just treat it like any you know tennis match you would play uh, with your friends on on the public courts or, or wherever it may be. But uh, you get into that. That competitive environment and things change and how you sort of manage and deal with certain moments can lend to suddenly you feeling really confident and loose or suddenly maybe things turning the the wrong way and you're kind of seizing up a little and, and feeling tight and that's where for me tennis is is so much different than so many other sports I, I just growing up I, I never recall being nervous in a big uh game of basketball like I used to play basketball as a kid I, I never recall really feeling nerves uh in baseball when I played I, I think just being surrounded by all your friends on a court on a diamond hockey too you're not as exposed as when you're just tennis just there by yourself and especially you have a crowd watching everybody they have their eyes on you and it, it's totally different yeah and all you've got when you're on the court is the ability to look over at your coach and make eye contact right and and for the most part there's there's still no coaching so uh, I think having a coach like Rob Steckley and we talked about Rob as well mm -hmm. is so important and uh you know I tried to make it sound like he was uh you know a different breed of coach but in a very good way in a positive way yeah. because he knows how to balance those stressful moments with a little bit of levity and some humor and not to the point of not taking it seriously. I mean, his young charges definitely practice hard, but he's just got this way about him to sort of cut that tension, find the right moment to, you know, find some humor to help someone through a moment. And uh, I don't know about what your coaches were like growing up, but I don't ever remember having a coach quite like that. Uh, I probably didn't have a coach like Rob Steckley, to be honest. Um, he's definitely a, a unique character, but um, I, I think a key point that Kayla makes in your interview, too, is uh, when they're off the court, it's not just non-stop tennis conversations, right? I, I mean, surely they, of course, discuss tennis. They, I'm sure they break down her matches, when she wins, when she loses, the, the areas she wants to improve. Uh, 
but she's not just having Kayla and probably the other players Rob works with. It's not just 100% all tennis on the mind at, at all times, which I think can be highly stressful. I mean, we saw sort of what uh, transpired with Bianca Andrescu and why she probably needed that six-month layoff is like all that she was really actively thinking of for focusing on is tennis. And uh, if you're not sort of harnessing those other interests, relaxing a little when you are away from the game and not training and just easing your mind about things, I, I think that's better. And, and Rob Steckley uh, surely sort of brings out everybody's personality to relax, be themselves. And uh, I, I imagine he's, he's great at that with Kayla and the other juniors. And he's also one voice among many that Kayla mentioned who were involved yep. in not just her growth as a tennis player, but the other young, uh, you know, men and women who were coming along too, from Sylvain Bruno, Natalie Toziat, uh, Simon LaRose, Elena Bovina. I mean, it's a real uh, by committee approach that Tennis Canada is taking. And I really like that as well, um, that it doesn't just all fall on one person to be responsible for uh, future success and future future steps forward. And uh, also, let's also mention that for Kayla Cross, getting to partner with someone like Jeannie Bouchard, uh, which came about, I would imagine, very unexpectedly in Vancouver. Um, what an opportunity to play alongside one of the greatest Canadian tennis players of all time, a real veteran. And uh, and for Jeannie, let's just also speak about her as we transition here. Uh, super to have her back on court after a year and a half uh, away. Yeah, fantastic. Um you know, the last time we saw her, I believe, was uh, competing in Mexico and, and playing so well. And she did reach uh, two WTA finals in the span of a handful of months. It, it looked like things were uh, really heading in a great direction for Jeannie Bouchard. But, uh, of course, a shoulder injury set her back and she rehabbed that for a long time. I, I think she picked the right moment to return. I, I knew we were discussing maybe there's a chance we see her in Toronto at the National Bank Open. But uh, beginning in Vancouver and the fact that she played you know, singles and doubles. She gets that home crowd environment and she's part of the first professional WTA win for Kayla Cross is, is really cool and special. And they kind of gutted that one out in, uh, in the super tie break 10-4 at the end. Uh, I'm not really reading too much into the fact that Jeannie Bouchard lost her first singles match to Ariane Hartano, 6-2-6-2. She obviously needs the reps. She needs she needs the match play, which she hasn't had for, for over a year. But the fact that she's back, um, I, I think she's healthy and feeling good. Hopefully we see more events added to the calendar as the summer continues and into the fall. And that was a big drawing card for uh, folks in Vancouver as well to get yeah. to see a player like Jeannie Bouchard out there. And Vancouver, I mean, they've got this event that was, um, what, a 250 they're going to get the Labor Cup next year. It's nice to see tennis sort of expanding in our country and having opportunities out West as well to, mm -hmm. to showcase the best players in the world and the up-and-coming players in the world and that it's not just always Toronto and Montreal who have the good fortune of having the 1,000-level event every summer going back and forth between the men and the women. Um, so I like the fact that as tennis grows in Canada, as we have more players on the international scene, as we've become a tennis nation to be reckoned with, for sure, um, that that exposure is reaching people in, in all corners of the country. And uh, again, for Kayla Cross to partner up with someone who she's never played with before, um, pretty cool that they even got that first round win. And Kayla mentioned that in Saskatoon as well, where she played doubles all, all the way to the, the, the win with uh, uh, Stakusik, uh, they hadn't played doubles together in some time either. So it's interesting to see how you can have success with someone, even though you haven't played with them either ever before or in many, many years. Sometimes that chemistry just kind of jives and and tends to to lead to a successful moment, I guess. 
Yeah, sometimes it just kind of clicks right away and maybe you have complementary game styles and everything just feels seamless. Maybe you didn't even need to practice that much and it, and it's just a comfortable fit. And um, I, I guess we saw that as well. That first match, Jeannie and Kayla Cross uh, getting that win in doubles. Should we maybe discuss just a couple of the results in Vancouver as well? Um, Vashik Pospisil, he's been looking for his form, I think, for some time. He hasn't played as consistently probably as he'd like this season but he's kind of been trying to build that ranking back up on the challenger circuit i feel like this tournament was maybe a bit of a stepping stone for him uh getting three match wins a couple good ones he beat jordan thompson in three sets beat the veteran jill simon in straights in the quarters and and gets to the semis before uh losing to francis arthur uh rinderk next so Pospisil, it seems like he's on the up and up again. We know how incredible a season he had in 2020. He was uh, the comeback player of the year, but uh, does move a couple spots up in the rankings. He's now 130, and uh, I'd I'd like to see Vashik make make another push and, and at least get back inside that top 100. I think all Canadian tennis fans would love to. He's someone who's got so much respect, gets so much support when he plays internationally for Canada. I mean, the fans in BC, when I've seen him there for Davis Cups before, just love him. And um, for Vashik, it has been a tough couple of years. You mentioned how much success he had in 2020. And of course, for Davis Cup with Canada back in, uh, what was that, 2019, alongside Denis Shapovalov, yep. Vashik was so crucial and so key for Canada. Um, and, and this year, it hasn't really clicked for him. He's gone down to play the challengers by design, I think, to try and get his ranking up and get his confidence back. But it hasn't really worked out for him. Like the results haven't been there in the challengers. He's still been going out in the early rounds, which can then have the opposite effect of what you hoped it would when you decided to go down and play at that level. So Mm -hmm. to reach the semis is obviously positive. Hopefully, um, I'm guessing for Vashik, it's going to be qualies at the the U.S. Open, uh, but hopefully he can get himself into the main draw, both for ranking points as well as money. I mean, what a huge payday. Even if you go out first round at the U.S. Open, you're bringing home like $80,000 American. So that's like better than many people's entire salaries during a year here in Canada, right? For the average person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Vashik is also, I should say, um, going to be counted on heavily for Davis cup for Canada as uh, that roster has been announced for the fall, which doesn't include Dennis, doesn't include Felix. Milos is still nowhere to be found. So it's going to be Vashik and the kids for uh, Davis cup, uh, the Canadian team. And he's going to have to go, I would imagine in singles and in doubles to give Canada any sort of hope there. Yeah, he's been uh, such an incredible representative for Canada in, D- in Davis Cup for so many years uh, and good on him to return there. I'll mention as well, Alexi Gallarno did reach the round of 16 in Vancouver, lost a tough three-set match to veteran Fernando Verdasco, who is uh, still still pushing away on the tour. Um, he's in his 30s now, but uh, still competing out there. And uh, Gallarno. Um, I think, as I said the other week, I, he actually impressed me in Montreal. He did lose to a tight two sets to Grigor Dimitrov, but he looked like a professional who belonged out there, was absolutely worthy of the wild card, and, and he's getting close. Yeah, another one for Canada to add to the mix. I didn't get to see him much in Montreal, but it seemed like the atmosphere was pretty electric. Of course, that Montreal crowd is going to uh, you know, support him as much as they can. Not as many Canadians in action going from the tournaments in Montreal and Toronto to Cincinnati, of course, as right. uh, we don't have the option to give out those wild cards. You see a lot more young American players, clearly, and at the U.S. Open, we'll see as well in qualifying there. Um, so fewer Canadians in Cincinnati, but the one common theme between the uh, events here, National Bank Open and the Western Southern, is uh, so unpredictable, so many upsets, so many crazy draws. 
I don't know who was doing the bracket challenge for Cincinnati, but <laughs> mine was done basically after round two in terms of having any hope of scoring some points there. I would very much put my money on uh, zero people in our Tennis Canada bracket challenge picking uh, Borna Chorich to win the title. I might wager the same that nobody picked Caroline Garcia to win the women's title, but uh, we'll, we'll start just on the men's with uh, Chorich, who we know is a former top 15 player. He's had great moments in his career, and then um, injuries really set him back. He had shoulder surgery in 2021. Uh, he's been working on his return this season. Some results have been slowly coming, but boy, oh boy, I never expected anything like this. Uh, takes out uh, Lorenzo Musetti to start his tournament, then shocks Rafael Nadal in three sets. And boy, oh boy, did he gain some confidence from that. Uh, rolls his way along to the title without dropping uh, a set after that, uh, defeating Stefano Tsitsipas in the final 7-6-6-2. And um, I, I tweeted how one week in this sport can really change your life. He rose 123 spots in the rankings and is back inside the top 30 after this week in Cincy. Just amazing. And I got to be honest, I kind of wrote this guy off just because it seems like he'd been away for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously a, a fairly uh, substantial shoulder injury he'd been dealing with. And he was out of my mind. Like he wasn't even on my, my radar of, of players, you know, in competition, to be honest, because of how much time he missed. And uh, he's still only 25 years old. And I remember back when he was in his early twenties, late teens, what, uh, what buzz there was around him. So this result has clearly, you know, reignited that, that buzz for him. And he becomes the first player uh, to win a challenger event and a masters 1000 event in the same year going all the way back to 1993 when uh, Miko Pernforce did that. Mm. Uh, Pernforce, who I remember winning in Montreal that summer. I was 12 years old and uh, and remembered him. And that was such a shock at the time. Like, whoa, where did this guy come from? As he was kind of on the, the tail end of his career. So a little different than 25-year-old Chorich here. But uh, just remarkable to be, yeah, contending in, in challenger events and then win a Masters 1000. And uh, what, like you said, what an amazing, you know, feat for one week of tennis, how that can totally, totally change, not just your outlook for the rest of the season, but probably the outlook for moving forward with his career and what he's capable of. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it kind of speaks to how good the level, I think, is really like the top 150 of these tennis players that everybody is capable. Uh, George, I think, has always been capable. And, and as you said, was was pegged as maybe kind of like a top 10 guy. And he made the quarterfinals a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open. Uh, but yeah, he was he had really fallen off my radar as well. And uh I, I thought to myself watching him defeat Rafael Nadal, I was like, well, Nadal looks rusty, but Chorich is not letting up. He was he was serving incredibly well throughout the match, hitting so clean from the baseline and just seemed to pick up steam as as the uh, tournament carried on. He did take out our Canadian and Felix Ojealiasim, who um, produced the same result he had in Montreal. He makes the quarterfinals of this Masters 1000 at the Western and Southern Open. Uh, I thought, I will say, I thought he looked fantastic against Yannick Sinner, that round of 16 win. He was down 6-2, 4-2 in this match. I believe he saved a match point. Rallies for a 2-6, 7-6, win and just completely took over in that third, was serving bombs, dictating from the baseline. Um, all the things we love about Felix's game when he is playing well. So that was a really positive sign before uh, losing to Chorich in the quarters. He's a bit of a hard one to figure out, Felix. Eh? Sometimes, like, big wins 
big gutsy performances yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes going out meekly. I mean, obviously that match against Casper in Montreal was such a disappointment. Um, he went out six, four, six, four to Chorich, but it looked like Chorich was going to take care of anyone in front of him. Um, so two straight quarterfinals in masters 1000s. Yes, that's good. You're making the final eight in both tournaments. You're, you're doing what a top 10 player should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, We'd like to see some more. We'd like to see, you know, the finals. We'd like to see some trophies there. Um, and he's still only 22 years old. So bearing that in mind, but you want to see, I don't know, not not stagnation. You want to see that ability to, yeah, cut into that top five. Like, what's the next goal? Okay, you're ninth in the world. How do you get into that top five? And it's going to take more than just a quarterfinal result in an event like this. Yeah, you're right. And I, I think the past two tournaments for Felix too, if I had based his level on the matches he had won, like going into the quarterfinals in Montreal, I honestly liked his chances against Rude. And then going into the quarterfinals in Cincinnati, I, I mean, maybe in my mind, I was thinking the Chorich run has to end, but just watching the way he played against Sinner, seeing what had sort of transpired in the draw, I was thinking Felix has a shot at, at a run to the title, uh, certainly a shot to get to the finals. And um, again, halted in, in straight sets. So the, the level is there. He is starting to form that consistency of getting into the latter stages of the tournaments. But as you say, we want to see a couple uh, bigger wins to really give himself opportunities uh, for trophies. I will mention Denis Shapovalov. We've uh, been understandably hard on him the past couple of weeks just because we haven't had any victories. I I think this was... um, him turning the corner a little bit, defeating Grigor Dimitrov to open his tournament. And then he had to dig very deep. He was behind against Tommy Paul, came back for a 3-6-6-4-6-3 win to get to the round of 16. And I don't think anybody is going to bat an eye at losing losing to uh, Danil Medvedev, which uh, he exited in the round of 16, 7-5-7-5. But uh, two match wins for Denis Shapovalov. Um you know, snapping sort of that one and 10 stretch uh, should be at least a confidence boost uh, with the U.S. Open around the corner. What a relief those wins must have been for Chapo. I mean, I just feel the relief myself. And so for him, after what he's gone through this year, you know, only winning one of 10 or 11 matches coming in, uh, this is absolutely huge. And and the the players that he beat, as you mentioned, Dimitrov, Tommy Paul's been playing terrific lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are both, you know, big time wins. Uh, not just for Denis Shapovalov, but for for anyone really. So that's going to hopefully bode well for him. He's got a springboard from this now. Um, yeah, Medvedev seven five seven five. There's no no shame in that either. Um, we'll see if he can build on this now for for the U.S. Open. That that's what you want to see. You want to see this lead to something bigger and not just be a one off. Oh yeah, he kind of you know, had a couple good matches, but now it's back to you know what was happening previously. So it'll be interesting to see what draw he gets. I mean, I'm stoked for i love a slam draw reveal that's one of the most exciting moments of the year is when you get to see the men's and the women's 128 players on both sides there you know there's no buys there's no freebies everyone's got to get through seven matches if they want to hoist that title um and and hopefully this gives dennis at least the confidence that you know maybe getting to the second week is is in the realm of possibility there which it should be it certainly should be um we should move over and talk about the women of course Mm -hmm. uh in cincinnati and maybe not quite as surprising because she's had Quite a run since June. Uh, Caroline Garcia of France, who's won titles on clay, grass, and now hardcourt. What a resurrection of her career, who's now up 17 spots to number 18 in the world with her win over Petra Kvitova in the finals. 
Yeah, she had a just a phenomenal tournament, uh, and she beat a host of really, really good players throughout. Uh, Petra Martic in, in a round one match is already a tough first rounder, which uh, she got through in straights. Big win to really get her going, I think, uh, came right after that against uh, Maria Sakkari. Very tough one, 7-6, 6-7, and just... Um, Really, really steady throughout. Beat Elise Mertens. I think the biggest surprise here for me was uh, Jessica Pagula. We saw in in Toronto was playing some phenomenal hardcore tennis. I felt like uh, she was a contender for that title. Only Simona Halep could stop her. And and Garcia uh, fought past her six one seven five. Takes out Sabalenka in a three setter, and then. One of the most powerful players in the game, Patrick Gavitova, 6-2-6-4 in the final, which is a very, very impressive result. Caroline Garcia now has three uh, WTA 1000 titles, uh, all on hard court. Uh, so we know she's incredibly capable. I believe she's been maybe top five in the world in the past. Yeah, she peaked at number four in the world. Uh, right. and that was in 2017. And in 2018, she was also a top 10 presence for most of the years. So uh, she's definitely capable. She's shown us that. Uh, when she was here in Toronto... I have zero pictures of Caroline Garcia, and I'll tell you why. Okay. It's because she was coming in playing so well that I assumed she was going to have a bit of a run, at least win a couple <laughs> of matches. Yeah. So I didn't bother checking out her first round match against Alize Cornet, which ended up in defeat. I didn't end up checking out any of her practice sessions. You know, when you've got the camera and you're kind of fulfilling the role as, you know, podcast host and photographer, you, you can't be everywhere at the same time and you got to make strategic decisions at the start of a tournament. Like, okay, which players am I going to follow today? Who do I want to get pictures of who might go out early, you know, but I might want some shots for an interview we've done, or maybe they'll have a good run at the U S open. And with Garcia, I just figured, okay, I've got a few days to, to yeah. worry about snapping some pictures of her. And unfortunately it ended early and boom, she was gone. So I've got zero from her. That was the one tournament this summer. It feels like where she didn't play up to, you know, her standard. Right. Uh, but what a what a turnaround to then go to Cincinnati and beat the players that you just mentioned. And uh, she's she's back. And I know there's a lot of uh, Garcia fans out there. What's her tagline? Uh, Fly with Caro is her big mm. uh, line when she wins. And there are a lot of fans that are happy to be flying with her once again. Yeah, three titles now in the past uh, three months. Three titles on the season uh, alone is impressive. And she's such an all-court player, too. Uh, this is kind of rare that her past three titles in a row, Grass in Germany, where she beat Bianca Andreescu in the final, she wins on clay in Poland in July and now over to the hardcourt surface in Cincinnati uh, chalks up a victory here. So I, I guess um, we'll segue just over to a couple of the surprises. It's it's so hard right now, it seems like, to rely on some of the top 10 players in the women's game who are all kind of struggling. I thought this might be a get-right tournament for Iga Sviantek. Instead, uh, she goes out early to well I, I mean Madison Keys is a really tough opponent but she lost in the round of 16 to Madison Keys uh, Paula Bedosa struggles continue and at Contave can't seem to win a match right now and then um, we we did see a nice um, resurgence from Evan Raducanu though I should say takes out Serena Williams in straight sets and takes out Victoria Azarenka in straight sets and I think everybody was particularly surprised and impressed by the score lines here. She beats Serena 6-4, 6-love, beats Azarenka 6-love, six 6-2. Six yeah, I mean, I'll touch on a couple points there. The first one, I guess, Eradicanu. Uh, what what impressive victories over both of those players and by those score lines. And yes, it's not Serena Williams of old, but still, you're beating Serena in one of her last tournaments in front of a very pro-American crowd. Yeah. For you not to have any nerves, you know, at the young age of, of Radicanu there is so impressive. 
And she says she's swinging freely. She says she's going for it. And that obviously is what we saw in Cincinnati. So those are two big time wins. They're taking out two of the top players of the last 20 years, really, in Serena and Victoria Azarenka. Uh, I also want to touch on your comment about, uh, you know, players like Contivate, Bedosa, Zachary, not that you necessarily mention all of them by name, but just those top mm-hmm. 10 kind of players that are struggling. And I'm trying to like, just on the fly here, think of what, what is it that's not clicking necessarily for them as well in 2022 as it did a year ago. And I wonder, we're kind of getting back to normal, you know, post, I shouldn't say post pandemic, because we're still taking precautions, but we're definitely all a little bit more prepared for it, more vaccinated for it and more comfortable just with how we live our lives through this. I I wonder if 2021, those were just three players who really um, didn't let that, that, that pandemic, the, the height of the pandemic affect them as much, whether they had you know, teams that just handled it better, whether they were just doing things to sort of navigate that a little bit easier. I just, I feel like the pandemic affected so many people in different ways. And I wonder if they were just three that, for example, just were able to block it out and take advantage and and do their thing last year. And and maybe I'm onto nothing at all. I have no idea, but <laughs> no, you just, might be right. Uh, I just wonder if that's a small thing where they just really seized that moment last year and were able to overcome some obstacles that we're more challenging for other players. I, I have no idea. Or it could just be, as we talk about so often, gosh, there's so many darn good players on the WTA and there's going to be your ebbs and flows as the season you know, goes along, I guess. Yeah, and, and especially as we know, you, you just don't get easy matches in the WTA. <laughs> so some of those rounds, uh, early rounds can be such a tough opponent. I mean, as I said, Iga Sviantek, okay, second round, I have Madison Keys, a former US Open finalist, who if she's on her game playing her best tennis, um, I could be going home. So that was the case for Iga, who, I mean, we don't really need to talk about Iga. She's had an unbelievable season. She'll be WTA Player of the Year if she loses uh, the rest of her matches for this year, uh, which will just wrap up the US Open been right around the corner. Um, Daniil Medvedev, our defending champion, beating Novak Djokovic. Emma Raducanu coming through qualifying for that shock victory. Gosh, who who would you say are are a couple favorites on the men's and the women's side? Just quickly. I was trying to look for some sort of trends between Cincinnati and the, the Canadian events in terms of who's coming in really hot to the U.S. Open. And right. Jessica Pagula was the only WTA player to make the quarterfinals or better of both those events. Um, Sabalenka also was showing some life, went round yeah, four in is. Toronto, semifinals in Cincinnati. So maybe those are two players that are ready for something big. On the men's side, it's so wide open because who had Pablo Carreño Busta followed by Borna Chorvich? Nobody. Uh, in terms of consistency between those two events, Felix was the only one who made quarterfinals at both. And I think Nadal is going to go beast mode as soon as he gets to New York and gets best of five. Yeah, I think that's going to make a big difference for him if he's healthy. Uh, I'd say he has to be one of the top two candidates. I still think Danil Medvedev has one more gear to reach. I think he's getting close. He made the semis of Cincinnati before losing to Tsitsipas. I mean, the name I'm just choosing from watching her form in Toronto, and I think it was kind of just fatigue that had her go out in Cincinnati is Simona Halep. Uh, I, I think she's playing still incredibly well. I don't really see any bad losses on her card. And then... I would probably venture over to Coco Goff as well, who we know played an immense amount of tennis, just Washington and Toronto, getting two doubles titles in a row, playing great in Toronto, loses to Boscova first round 7-5-1-0 walkover, which I think was also exhaustion. So I'll, I'll say Coco and Simona um, yeah, as my favorites. Those are, those are great picks. And I think both were a little tired after what they did in Toronto um Coco playing uh also into the doubles final where she won there too so a lot of time on the courts in difficult conditions uh great picks and 
hey, look, our next episode is going to be our U.S. Open preview episode. So super stoked for that next week. We're working on getting a good guest for you guys as well. Uh, ben, this has been great. A great two weeks of uh, North American hardcore action leading to the final slam here. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Bye.